Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum with me, Dr. Sarah Taylor-Whiteway. With reading for pleasure now mandated in schools, it will be a phrase teachers are familiar with, but today we take a deeper dive into the emotional aspects of reading. We talk to Teresa Kremen, Professor of Education at the Open University, about the social and emotional aspects of reading, how we can build a passion for it, and the role teachers have to play in the classroom. Hi, Teresa. Welcome to the Emotional Curriculum. So a lot of your work has been obviously around reading for pleasure. Why do you think this is something that's really important that teachers should focus on in school? Well, reading for pleasure is clearly linked to cognitive progress for young people. So if you become a reader, a keen reader in primary years, you'll be giving yourself uh, many benefits uh, between sort of 10 and 16 in your adolescence and then potentially in your life chances. Um, There are benefits around vocabulary, around um, literacy, around mathematics even. Uh, So I think it's really important to support your future growth, but also as a human, we want young people to engage in reading for pleasure because they find something that satisfies them in that process uh, and that they can take pleasure in and can connect to other people. And there's other social and emotional benefits have been found in the research as well associated with reading for pleasure. Could you talk a little bit about those? Yes, certainly. Um, Clearly, if you become a reader, you uh, are often motivated, you're socially interactive, you want to talk to other people about what you find pleasurable or um, surprising or even painful in what you're reading. And therefore, you're likely to be making connections with other people, uh, human connections uh, to your teachers, to your parents, to other friends. And secondly, attached to that, of course, as we read, we read about other people's worlds, other people's practices. And so vicariously, we come to live part of their lives. And in so doing, we learn about their emotions, their challenges, their situations, and come back to look at our own perhaps differently. So there are social and emotional benefits, both literally in the moment-to-moment interaction in life, but also vicariously in our imaginations as we connect to characters and other worlds that we read through. And I think in reading as well, you often can see yourself reflected in the characters or the situations that the story tells. Mm. Have you thought about that or have you seen that in your work as well? Well, certainly it is the case that narrative provides a kind of framework for interpreting your life, for understanding life events and uh, thinking about yourself and your experiences. So we always read ourselves when we read fiction as well as we read the worlds of others. We see ourselves more clearly. Uh, And one of the concerning issues currently, actually, is that back in 2017, the Centre for Literacy and Primary Education found that only 4% of the children's books that were published in this country um, included BAME characters. Uh, Now, that's gone up slightly last year to to, uh, 7%. It's really low, isn't it? How many children can see their own reality reflected in the text they read? Uh, So we need more books that enable children to see themselves in the mirror of fiction, as well as, as the metaphors go, open the doors or windows into other people's worlds. 
yeah, I think it's really interesting you're talking about the lack of maybe representation in there because there's been mm. a bit of um, conversation about there being more texts like that, but but maybe not enough. And I'm wondering how how can we get more of those texts out there, do you think? I mean, certainly we need to be helping the teaching profession get to know some of the significant publishers uh, like Knights of and Tiny Owl, uh, Letterbox Library, and other significant um, publishing, often small publishing concerns, uh, that offer to teachers and to young people books that reflect rich cultural diversity from around the world. And we need to get to know those as well as, you know, the, the uh, kind of more popular and more widely known. Uh, but I think we do need to seek out texts that are going to reflect the reality of the children who we're trying to teach and who we're trying to entice to become readers. And that harks back to what you were saying originally at the beginning of reading being a really social um, activity that helps us be human. How does that play out in, in children when they're being social around books and reading? Well, that's hugely dependent upon the opportunities they're offered. So there are many and varied ways of supporting young people uh, to develop as members of a community of readers in the classroom. And not all teachers feel confident to do that. They clearly need a wide subject knowledge themselves as teachers to be able to share books with the young people and then to create opportunities uh, pedagogically in the classroom where children can converse informally uh, around the books that they're choosing to talk around, around the magazines that they're choosing to read and reflect upon, or indeed around non-fiction. So I think the key to fostering an interactive community is both the teacher being a reader but also the young people being given rich and varied opportunities to blether about their books. But the teacher needs to know her literature and she certainly needs to know her readers, you know, each child in that class. There's something about read, the teacher's approach to reading having a really big influence on their students and you've done some research into how teachers' interests can change their pedagogy around reading. Could you explain a little bit about that? Certainly. Um, some of the work that we've uh, done with schools across this country has focused on what difference it makes when a teacher has a rich repertoire of children's literature and a rich understanding of her readers, but also when that teacher sees herself as a reader. If I position myself as a reader teacher, capital R, capital T, or a reading teacher in the classroom, then I'm more able, I would argue, to hold up a mirror to my own reading practices and say, oh, you know, I'm sitting in bed at night and I'm rereading the last couple of chapters or the last three pages because I can't remember who's who. Uh, and then, you know, turn that mirror around and go, ah, what's the consequence of that for my classroom practice then? When do I discuss rereading in order uh, to make sense, in order to care about the book enough to read on? So if a teacher wants to develop their teacher reader skills, what qualities are they looking for? So a reading teacher is knowledgeable, interactive herself, knowledge about the children and the text, but also highly reflective, highly reflective about the kinds of practices she or he engages in. Um, I mean, I might on a Saturday morning, Sarah, sit and read The Guardian, very frequently do, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table then, but most of the other time I'm reading fiction or non-fiction. I'm either at my desk because I'm doing some work and reading some kind of reference text, but if I'm having a, a relax in the lounge yeah. or whatever, then I'm curled up on the sofa with a cushion, possibly with a blanket, probably with a glass of wine. 
all of those things oh what does that mean for my classroom do i need to offer them a quiet space a comfy space where they can relax and just and get less stress from the kind of moving on to maths moving on to science tidy away this into a kind of relaxed mode where i can read think about the meaning in the text and enjoy it so it's reflecting on how we read and how we uh, enjoy that experience and making sure that children actually have that same experience themselves so taking it from something that's quite natural to us to making it formulaic in the classroom is where maybe you lose a bit of the reading for pleasure i absolutely with you and i think it's about authenticity are we enabling young people to become readers for life by offering them a kind of schooled version of what being a reader is when you're nine or ten or are we offering them teaching of skills absolutely essential in school age nine but alongside that space to be a reader the kind of reader who makes their own choices who gives up on a book because it's frankly so boring i don't want to continue or is it that each and some schools sadly it is each child has to finish the book they're on and then write an extended book review giving it how many stars listing the the author if i had to do that with every book i wrote or indeed everyone we'd be switched off tomorrow Speed. Which I think touches on this idea that actually um, there's something maybe a bit misleading in the term reading for pleasure, isn't there? Because reading isn't necessarily always about inciting positive emotions. No. And partly what teachers' role is to acknowledge all the emotions that come with reading. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes, you know, one reads a book and feel very offended by the actions of a character or angry uh, on, in, the, in reading in the newspaper or whatever, infuriated even. So I agree with you, a range of, of um, emotions. I think what we, d- we decided to define reading for pleasure in our own research as volitional reading, mm-hmm. reading that we choose to do. So thinking about meaning, if reading's anything, arguably, therefore, it's thinking about meaning. So are we choosing to think about meaning? Are we choosing to go to this text, whether it's on our phone, uh, online, um, whether it's a printed text itself? Are we choosing to go... Oh, you know, he, he surprises me, that man, or I feel disgusted by his behavior. Yeah. So I'm thinking it through and then thinking, why am I disgusted? Or he reminds me of, you know, somebody I met years ago or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, then we're actually choosing to engage thoughtfully yeah. in the process of reading. So any emotions that really want us to come back to the text, if it, you know, it, like being suspense or frustration and wanting to see how things are resolved and all of those, like you say, make, motivate someone to read more. Yes, I think we want to build a legacy of past satisfactions for our young people, deep satisfactions that are emotional satisfactions, and they may be emotionally painful. I suspect you've, I'm sure you can, I remember reading I Am David by Anne Holm, I remember reading Charlotte's Web, um, and just crying at both of those, another book as a child, Mm. Uh, and yet remembering them and finding that they resonate still. Yeah. Uh, in my sense of who I am as a reader. So I don't think it has to be pleasure, happy, smiling faces. Yeah. It's the kind of satisfaction of engaging with the text and finding often some kind of resolution at the end of it, yeah. some kind of hope for the world as well as for the characters in the book. And I, I guess that also kind of goes full circle, doesn't it, back to the idea that sometimes it can the stories can represent a child or young person's own life because in our own lives it isn't always happy and pleasurable and, and so we're getting an experience of all the different emotions we have to feel in the day-to-day life we go and leave away from reading. I think that's true. I mean, I think 
you know, affect, our emotional engagement is clearly a driving force in reading. There's no question that we get engaged with uh, the content or the character. Uh, but it's also the case that we bring to that reading our own personality traits, our own memories of past events, um, mm. our present kind of needs and things we're worrying about currently. And so each book we read, even if we read the same book again at different points in our life, it means something different to us. Uh, we, yeah. we might remember the book, but in rereading it, uh, we are now a mother. And so the loss of the child in the beginning of that you know, story, as it were, when the child went missing, feels different than when I read it as a, as a child, as a 19-year-old, for example. So yes, affect's a key driving force, and so is us, you know, the personal, our sense of who we are. Those both drive reading. Which, you know, which, as you said, teachers needing to know their, the children in their class so they know which books they're going to enjoy the most, really. Do you think it's important, though, Sarah, to point out that we shouldn't be pushing books on children we shouldn't be saying this is the book for you we clearly need to use our knowledge and our repertoires as teachers but but teachers also need to be offering children choice if reading for pleasure is a volitional agentic then we need to be saying these are two or three Imran which ones do you like the look of I thought you might like this because but I don't know you might like this one so that giving the children the chance to take their own journey as a reader not be led by the teacher and held by her reading reins on the point of volition, I guess where that's difficult is where children are having difficulties in their reading. So are there things that teachers can do even when a child is struggling to read to themselves that can help a child still get pleasure from reading or still engage in choice? Well, certainly reading aloud, absolutely key. Right through into, there's been some recent studies by Joe Westbrook and colleagues in Brighton, uh, right through into Key Stage 3. When teachers are reading aloud, we are modelling uh, rich, challenging, interesting texts where children are hanging on every word, wanting to know what happens next, or laughing and enjoying the journey with the teacher. And what is it doing for the class as a community when they all sit together and read? That way we build what I um, call books in common, books that you and I and six other children, if we've read it together as a group, have in common, a kind of... Um, a small microcosm of a kind of community so that if there's a I don't know a dog that does something particularly unusual in the book then later on somebody can go oh it's one of those dog moments or whatever and that group know what that refers to we have that kind of connection between us if you build that with your class and you display the books you've read aloud and you read some of those books again although that's obviously easier with picture books than it is with novels you then begin to build that uh, books in common across the community and they are very rich they're very rich source of intertextual connection source of references rich source of remembrances about who we are and what we share and in the teaching examples i've seen you do see teachers refer back to you know when experiences happen in the classroom they refer back to a book the class might have read and and make links between that so it becomes a vessel through which children can understand their world again like you said Absolutely. That's a good teacher who's making those kind of connections. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually that builds an understanding in children, doesn't it? Because they'll say, I, I got that book, I understand everything. So that's helping me make sense of this thing that's happening in my life right now. Mm. Mm. So you've touched on a few things that, that teachers can do in their classroom to help build this uh, um, reading for pleasure, choosing to go back to reading. Um, what would you say are the main principles teachers need to think about to build in this? I think at the core it's about knowledge and pedagogy. It's 
I kind of referred to before, really, it is about our knowledge of a wide range of literature and other texts as teachers, and then the same teachers needing to know those readers. And that's not to know the year four boys, because year four boys are never year four boys. This year, they're different from last year's boys. They're all unique individuals with different histories, different families. Um, and therefore, we have to spend quite a bit of time in that year across the year, not just at the beginning, getting to know them and then understanding their preferences, their practices at home, their enthusiasms in life, you know, their passions, um, and not assuming that that stays the same. I mean, you know, we might each be interested in particular things at particular points of time, and those shift. So we've got to sustain our genuine relationship with those young people so that as they mature, or as they shift their interests, we understand that and can begin to see where they're moving and what then we might recommend, what we might dialogue around, what challenges we might um, uh, set and so on. So it is really about really deeply knowing the children you teach, knowing about their lives and offering choices of books based on that. Absolutely. I think one of the key things there is, is placing enjoyment at the centre of it so that at the heart of our classroom practice is a kind of sense of we engage as readers. It's us, not me and them, or, mm. but us. We work together. I'm a fellow reader and the children um, are readers and have a reader relationship with one another. And our research um, in the project called Teachers as Readers showed very strongly that reading communities were built, which were very relationship strong and were highly interactive uh, when teachers uh, recognise themselves as readers and position themselves as readers in the classroom rather than necessarily predominantly as pedagogues. Yeah, so it's it's really a lot about how we understand there's so much more to reading a book than just hearing the words. Well, it's about creating a social reading environment where I'm reading aloud to the children as a teacher. Um, I'm reading with the children, uh, alongside them in pairs. They're reading with each other in small groups and then giving them the opportunity to read uh, by themselves, but to make their own choices in that context so that the practice in that pedagogy would be, as I called it, like a checklist, pedagogy checklist. It would be learner-led, it would be informal, it would be highly social, and it would be with text that tempt the young people. I think that's a kind of a useful, just a quick check to say, oh, am I really going to assess this? Because if I'm assessing it, it's losing the informality. It's really me finding out rather than actually me enabling a space to grow in. I guess the difficulty with that is maybe is that also the curriculum that teachers have felt that they bound to follow, especially maybe as the children get older. Um, so what would be your kind of advice around finding a space, that creating that culture away from books that teachers have to read because it's part of the, the curriculum? Well, actually, currently, national, um, within the national curriculum, reading for pleasure is mandated. I mean, you can't require kids to read for pleasure, mm. but you can entice and encourage them. Uh, indeed, the National Curriculum states we, we need to be encouraging children to read widely, fiction and non-fiction, to develop their knowledge of the world, uh, you know, to develop a love of reading and, and to gain knowledge across the curriculum. So I think teachers can feel very secure now that they're working within a National Curriculum expectation in primary and right through schooling uh, to support a love of reading. And I think one of the things we need to be careful of is thinking, not trying to separate activities within the curriculum, but trying to um, decide what's the orientation of this 
20-minute session. Is the 20-minute session to remind ourselves of the comprehension skills we need to practice them in context and for me to ask questions and the young people to answer so that I can discern who, who is and who isn't able to infer and deduce in this context? Or, and that would be the, the reading instruction end, or is it reading for pleasure? In which case it needs to be a more informal social space where I'm not leading and the young people are perhaps with a book activity still, but they're having an informal conversational space to share their uh, expectations of this book, to share their wonders about this book, to share their connections to this book mm. that are not being assessed and are not being checked for accuracy, but are about personal connection to their, their affective response to the text. Yeah. And are there things that teachers can do to encourage that, to encourage uh, children sharing with each other how they feel or to just explore the emotional aspects of reading? There certainly are. I mean, it'll depend on the books you're reading. So if you've got books in common that are um, likely to provoke empathy uh, and are likely to evoke affective engagement, then they'll be wisely chosen. Uh, and so we'd be looking for those kinds of texts that would support a teacher on the journey. That's back to her knowledge repertoire. And then secondly, we're looking for the kinds of activities that would trigger informal talk in pairs and small groups. It might be that they're involved in doing some small scale drama. And so using drama, or using storytelling, using art, we can find ways to help young people explore their thinking about the text, their understanding of the text with one another. I mean, equally, they can do it in small-scale conversation. And have you got an example of a question that a teacher could lead with to open up the emotional and social aspects of reading? It might be, for example, at the end of a quiet reading time, a teacher could ask, you know, whatever you've been reading today, was the one piece that shocked you, surprised you, made you angry, made you laugh? I don't know what it was because I wasn't reading your book, but can you find somebody and tell them what, what emotion was triggered in your mind as you read today? And then giving the space for the children to share whatever it is that's you know, come to their mind and indeed the teacher doing likewise with one child. If the teacher gives that space to the young people, then there'll be 16 conversations in pairs. And talking about the emotions around it, there's a lot of therapeutic approaches that uses literature as well or, or, or narrative or stories and things like that how much do you think that links to the reading for pleasure idea well certainly fiction is absolutely key and uh, to supporting that kind of sense of of well-being of understanding who i am and who others are uh, there's a, a lot of research around bibliotherapy with adults uh, less with children um, but there is certainly research to suggest that um, if young people have the chance to um, develop the effective traces that fiction offers and childhood books can offer, uh, then those can resonate through the years. Those can enable them to have the conversations at the time through informal book talk, uh, but enable them also to support one another um, as they you know, develop particular preferences and practices. So to summarise a lot of what you've spoken about, the idea is really that before you even start reading a book, you can engage um, the children and young people by giving them a choice and getting them excited and sharing that emotion with them before the start of a book. That, that's true. I mean, it also is influenced by how the teacher literally brings the text to life. Mm. So whether she's scanned the visuals in, whether the book is big enough for someone to see or all the class to see, uh, whether she's she or he has you know used their voice and their 
body to bring to life. It doesn't have to be kind of performed into existence. Uh, and many novels, um, you know, actually just need to be voiced well without necessarily being enacted. Um, but but the voice, the intonation, the tone, the pause, the pacing, all of this will make a difference. Mm. I mean, we've all listened to people who can read aloud brilliantly to us and enjoy that. Yeah. And then sometimes experience others who speak, you know, in their read aloud in a, somewhat of a monotone. Yes, yeah. yeah. And that kind of got me thinking about um, audio books and things. Mm. Yeah, they're um, absolutely make use of them, I would suggest. Many schools do. And schools increasingly now are putting um, short... Uh, extracts of books or indeed chapters um, on their websites mm. where they'll read aloud you know chapter seven and then you read aloud chapter eight and sir reads aloud chapter nine um, across the next few weeks um, so that the children can hear a bedtime story or indeed a story in the evening um, at home read by a range of teachers yeah good best if those can actually go home though and be borrowed so multiple copies would probably enrich that um, enormously yeah. but yes audiobooks do have a role to play i do agree and so for teachers listening to this, what would be the one thing you would want them to take from this conversation to either think about or put into their classroom? Am I allowed to? You can have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the one, first thing is that if, if we could convince or an, and help head teachers understand that the will to read will in time influence the skill, then we might have a higher profile for reading for pleasure across the country. And that uh, vexes me that some schools are still very focused on the standards agenda and don't pay much or, if any, in some cases, attention to the reading for pleasure agenda. So that would be one at the kind of senior management focus. In terms of teachers themselves, I'd say uh, enjoy. Enjoy reading and sharing your passion with the young people. So widen your repertoire. Uh, have a look at the Open Universities uh, a research rich pedagogies site which has a rich range of ideas resources and research that would help you do just that help you widen your repertoire help you and um, set yourself some reading challenges so that you find new books new authors that excite you mm. and actually in that process you'll almost probably not be able to not share that with the children yeah you can't teach reading for pleasure uh, but you can share you can entice them you can involve the young people and that's our responsibility to take professional responsibility for doing just that yeah and I think that's a really good thought to leave on isn't it because the idea of a teacher being really excited to read the book or being really engaged in those emotions you're feeling with you as you're reading them is probably the most encouraging thing for any child or young person in the classroom I think you're right I think we we need to re recognize ourselves as reading role models mm. in the classroom and reflect that we have cried with books we have been angry with books we have been aggravated and given up on books and that's us as authentic adult readers and we want these young people to become authentic young readers not kind of schooled readers but real readers yeah. readers for life yeah. Teresa thank you so much it's been really interesting listening to everything you have to say thank you it's been lovely to be here Sarah you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about what Teresa was discussing, you'll find links to further reading in the podcast description. If you like this episode, then please leave a review and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at emcurriculum, and you can email us on theemotionalcurriculum at gmail.com. See you soon.